And so this morning, we are continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians, Christ and the Church, and we actually are at the last passage, bringing it to a close. So we come to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith, From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians in the first century. And so when we come to this passage at the close of the letter where he's referring to armor, The armor that would have come to the mind of his readers would have most likely been that of a Roman soldier. The Roman army was one of the most successful in the history of the world, and it was an instrumental part in the vast Roman Empire. The armor of a Roman soldier included many of the things that Paul lists here. The soldiers wore two belts. One belt was to secure the sword, one to secure the dagger. And the body armor, which was called Lorica segmentata. It was actually more than just a breastplate. It was made of these overlapping iron plates. It was one of the most effective types of armor in the ancient world. It provided excellent protection, not only for the torso, but over the whole shoulders. And the soldier's shield was called a scutum, 
It was a large rectangular shield made of wood and was covered with leather. leather. And these shields were designed to interlock with each other, and it created this impenetrable wall. The, the, the enemies couldn't penetrate the shield, the wall created by the shields of the Roman soldiers. Then there was a helmet. And it was a helmet that came all the way down in the back to protect the neck, and it came all the way down in the face to protect their cheeks. And of course they had a sword. The only use of armor is for battle. And so Paul's point here in his armor analogy is that Christians, every one of us, you and I, are in a spiritual battle. But in this battle, you are not alone. And through our passage this morning, we'll see three truths about spiritual warfare. First is that the spiritual battle is real. Second, the Lord is your strength in this battle. And third is you need to stand firm in the Lord. So through our study of this letter to the Ephesians, we call Christ and the church, we've been looking at what it means to be in Christ. What it means to be spiritually united to Christ as individuals and collectively as a church. And through the first three chapters of his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul lays out all the spiritual blessings and realities that come from being united to Christ. Then in the second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, Paul lays out how to live out that calling. What does being in Christ, being the church of Christ, demand of us? And so we've been looking at how to live out your life in Christ as a child of God, living in the light, considering what are the things you're called to do and what are the things that you're called to no longer do. In the past few weeks, we've considered what is the household code that Paul writes. How do you live out your relationships in Christ? How do you relate to each other as a husband and a wife and the Lord, children and parents, bosses and employees? Really, how do you live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, doing as he commands, putting off the sins in your life? Now Paul concludes all of this by framing the full situation. Not only do you have a sinful nature to deal with, as long as you are in this life, as long as you are in this body, you have the flesh and the sinful desires of your own heart to deal with. But also you're in a battle with unseen spiritual forces. Acknowledging and understanding that you are under attack by Satan and evil spiritual forces is crucial to your ability to live out your calling in Christ, to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's why the first truth about spiritual warfare is that the spiritual battle is real. Now when people think of spiritual warfare, some get the idea of demonic possession or other extreme examples. But spiritual warfare is something that everyone is a part of. It's not simply a select few people or a person that, that Satan chooses for this dramatic event of demonic possession. Everyone is in this battle. And it takes place in the mundane, normal, everyday life. Paul's point is that you can't casually coast in the Christian life. We see clearly in the Word of God that Satan won't allow that. You need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan's plans are against you. Because you are a son or a daughter of God, he doesn't want you to live a life pleasing to God, and he'll do everything in his power 
to distract you, to, to get you off of that. His schemes target you through your own sinful desires. What are the sins of your heart? It can be power. It can be money, recognition, lust. Whatever sinful desires your heart seeks after, Satan can use it to lure you in. Peter wrote of this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You don't need to fear Satan, but you do need to be aware of what you face. Paul clarifies in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Human forces are something we can handle. When we're up against a human enemy, it's something we can see with our eyes. Their attacks must take place in the physical realm. They're external to us, outside of us. But the struggle that Paul is talking about here is much different. Spiritual warfare takes place within you. The spiritual forces, Satan and, and his demons, the cosmic powers over the present darkness of this world, he knows your weak points. He knows the sins of your specific heart. He knows if you're tempted to pride or anger or lust or greed or whatever the particular sins you're prone to. He knows these weaknesses. And so the spiritual battle is real. And if Satan and the demons are beyond humanity, they're beyond your power to deal with this on your own. They are the rulers and authorities and the powers over this present darkness. So what can you do against them? Fortunately, God has not only brought us out of darkness into light, he is our strength in this fight. And that is the second truth about spiritual warfare, that the Lord is your strength. Paul's admonition here isn't to fight against Satan and his schemes in your own power. He begins all of this in verse 10 with, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it's important to remember that you have a part to play in this sanctification process. That is, God's work to renew your whole self into his image. God's work to enable you more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. And your part is repentance, turning from your sin towards God. But Satan is fighting against that process. His plans are to keep you in your sins and to prevent you from turning to God. So you must remember that not only is God with you in this fight, but you need him in this fight. It's not simply that you don't have to fight this battle alone, but you can't fight this battle alone. You need God's strength. You need his strengthening grace in sanctification and in repentance every step of the way. You must turn to him. Rely on him to strengthen you in this fight, not only because you can, but because that's what his grace is for. It's not only his grace and salvation that you need. You need his grace in your sanctification. You need his grace in this battle. He wants you to rely on him in this fight against sin and Satan. Because although you are significantly weaker than Satan, God is so far above him in power and in might that the battle is already won. 
And this is why you don't need to fear Satan or the spiritual battle that you're in. Because God is your strength. You're not alone, and God loves you. He provides you with everything that you need. You just need to be aware of the reality of this fight. You can't coast in this spiritual fight. You can't simply relax in your faith. You need to be zealous. You need to be all in and rely on God in this fight. You can't walk alone through life because Satan will attack you relentlessly as long as you're going it alone. And so the third truth of spiritual warfare is that you need to stand firm in the Lord. And so how do you do this? What do you have to do to stand firm in the Lord in this battle? And Paul brings us back to the armor analogy. He says in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand God has given you protection and weapons in this spiritual warfare, and you're to utilize them. You must recognize the reality of this battle. You must rely on God and his strength, and you must use what he's given you, that you may be able to withstand this evil day. In these last days, this time between Christ's first coming and his return, the age of the Church of Christ, This is the age Paul was writing in in the first century, and it's the age we find ourselves in now, in the 21st century. In these times, evil has increased, and to withstand these evil times, you must stand firm in the strength of the Lord, in this spiritual battle. Then Paul lists the, in detail, the spiritual armor of God. Starting in verse 14, he says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The first piece Paul mentions here is truth. The belt of truth. In our day, even the concept of objective truth is under attack. There's a whole generation of young people being indoctrinated with the idea that all truth is relative. There's no such thing as objective truth. This means that they don't believe there's such a thing as the truth. There's your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, and so on. If Satan can undermine truth itself, then there's nothing to believe in. The object of belief and faith must be true. I would like to go to the top of a large building with these professors and people that are teaching this nonsense to our youth and ask them if gravity is objectively true. And if not, would they jump off the roof? Now, we're laughing because we all know what their response would be. They would refuse to jump off the roof because... The idea that there's no such thing as truth is utter nonsense. And in that moment, even they would realize it. But Paul is speaking about a specific truth of the gospel. There is such a thing as objective truth, and the gospel is true. And holding on to this truth is foundational to standing firm. It is true that God loves you. It's true that God sent his only son to die for you. It's true that in Christ you are forgiven, and it's true that in Christ 
you are given his righteousness before God. And that's why Paul immediately follows having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. When Satan tempts you to sin, when Satan accuses you of your guilt, you are in Christ. You are united to Christ by faith. You have the truth of the gospel on your side. You have righteousness of Christ on your side. And you have the peace that comes, that only comes, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, this truth is with you. And this is where your readiness in the battle lies, in the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus was tempted, but did not sin. Jesus died on the cross the death you deserve. And he brought you peace with God. And he gives you the peace of God. He conquered sin and death and now you are ready for this battle. You now have the Holy Spirit as a gift from God in Christ working in you. More and more each day to bring about the righteousness of Christ. And when you fail, you have the righteousness of Christ in the truth of the gospel on your side. When you fully embrace the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you're ready for this battle. Then Paul says in verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Paul places a bit of a special emphasis on faith here. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Also, the shield was a crucial piece of armor for a soldier. Without it, he was done. It was a necessary piece for the battle. And Paul even describes the use of faith here to show its important role. With it, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Your defense against all Satan's attacks is your faith. And not just a generic faith in anything, but specifically faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith in your salvation by the grace of God in Jesus. Faith in your reconciliation and your access to God. Faith in your relationship with Christ and everything God has promised you in him. This is your defense against the attacks of Satan because it's when your faith is weakened that you start to stress and worry instead of have faith in God to provide. You become vulnerable to temptations when when your faith is strong in the goodness and the power of God, the temptations of sin don't feel as tempting. When you have full faith that God is all-powerful and all-good and working all things for your good, that he loves you and he cares for you, the things of this world aren't nearly as tempting as when you're overlooking these truths in your heart. When your faith in the Lord is strong, all you want is him. And any temptations that Satan can throw your way bounce right off you like a shield. Then in verse 17 he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So there is a connection, an overlap even, in all the armor. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, and now salvation. We know helmet is a crucial piece of armor protecting the head. Believers are protected. And salvation, which Paul has already mentioned in this letter, is a gift from God. And salvation being a gift means you can't earn it, but also you can't lose it. Satan can't harm you. 
He may attack you, but remembering your salvation protects you. You are saved. And in your salvation, you have the truth, the righteousness, the peace of God all on your side. Satan can tempt you. He can accuse you. But you belong to the Lord. You've been adopted into his family. And he's given you all of this to protect you from the evil one. You could never defeat Satan on your own, but you don't have to. You can't do it on your own, but you have the power of the Lord to stand firm. There's no need to fear. There's no need to run. You can stand firm, as Paul says, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even as Satan and his demons attack you. Paul also mentions a piece of armor that is a weapon against these evil forces, a sword. He tells you to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has given us the Word of God. The Word of God is a weapon against the schemes of Satan. The more you know and understand the Word of God, the more you are transformed by the Word of God, the less vulnerable you are to Satan. Jesus himself modeled this when he was tempted by Satan in the desert. He resisted all three of Satan's temptations by quoting scripture. When Satan attacked him, he would say, for it is written, and then quote the word of God to refute these attacks. And to take full use of this offensive weapon God has given you, you need to read the word of God on your own. Meditate on it. Study it. Psalm 1, which sets the tone for the whole Psalter, says that the man who is blessed... His delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, on God's law, he meditates day and night. And this is why much of the attacks on Christianity are centered around the word of God itself. If Satan can undermine the word of God in the hearts of people, he leaves them weaponless in this battle. And if you go out in the world, especially in college, but really everywhere in our culture today, the Bible itself is under attack. It's the primary task of Satan to remove us from the word of God. Really, the the good news of the gospel. He attacks our faith. If you recall in the parable of the sower, Jesus identified the bird who steals the newly sown seed as the devil. He doesn't want us to believe, confess, to stand upon the word of God. Satan's goal is to rob you of your armor and your weapons, convincing you that you're not even in a fight. But here you're reminded in God's word that the gospel of God's grace is your protection. That you're accepted by God based on the righteousness of Christ alone. And in Christ, you have freedom, joy, and courage. And this comes from the relentless love of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, you can continue to be transformed into the image of Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who defeated Satan evil and death in his own sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection. Paul also says in this spiritual battle, in verse 18, you should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So now Paul leaves behind the imagery of armor and he's exhorting his readers. and He's exhorting every Christian, you and I, to engage in prayer. And this is the end of the book, and the end of this putting on the spiritual armor of God passage. So along with be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, these are bookends. The way you rely on the strength of the Lord in this spiritual battle 
is not only acknowledging that you are helpless without the strength of God, which you need to do, but then going to him in prayer. Preaching on this verse, John Calvin put it this way, the one cannot be separated from the other. That is to say that if we are resting upon the pledge of God's promises and have them thoroughly rooted in our hearts, we shall be stirred up to resort to our God so that our faith may exercise us in prayers and supplications. Knowing your need for God and trusting in God will result in you praying to him. Going to God in prayer means you understand your need for him. Whatever things you bring to God in prayer, you're recognizing his sovereignty over that area of your life, and you're relying on his providence. And so you should be bringing to him your battle with sin and evil. Paul says praying in the Spirit. Even in your prayers, you're not alone. God is with you, empowering you to pray by his Spirit. And Paul wrote of this work of the Spirit in prayer in Romans 8. He said, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we see in this famous verse in the book of Romans, God's promise to work all things together for good for believers is introduced by the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. In our weakness, God's strength is sufficient. Even in your not knowing what to pray for, you can rely on the Holy Spirit in prayer. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you in accordance to God's will. So God didn't leave you to yourself in anything including your prayer life. The Holy Spirit conforms your prayers to God's will and purposes and confirms how precious you are in the eyes of God and that you will continue to seek and to trust him more. Paul also says, with all prayer and supplication, you should be praying with supplication. That is asking for something earnestly or honestly. And this is a part of prayer that Paul specifically mentions here. And he's writing this in conclusion really to the whole letter. In the second half of this letter, he's been laying out how to live out the Christian life, how to live out your calling as someone who is united to Christ by faith. And now he's saying part of living out that calling is praying for all these things. Pray to be a light in the world. Pray to live in a manner worthy of your calling, confessing your sins and relying on God to overcome the sins in your life. Ask God for strength in your battle with sin and pride. Pray that God will bring about the truth, righteousness, and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, that he will strengthen your faith as a shield, and pray that the Spirit will illuminate the Scriptures to you, transform your life through the Word of God, and will intercede through your prayers, conforming them to the will of God. And not only should you pray this for yourself, which you should, but Paul continues, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So saying you should keep alert with all perseverance means watch over your life. Be aware of this spiritual battle and stay alert for the return of Christ. Not falling asleep, falling prey to the schemes of Satan, but praying for yourself 
and making supplication for all the saints, praying for the health and well-being of of all Christians, including their spiritual well-being, praying that your loved ones, your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they will be strengthened by the Lord in this battle, that the Lord be with them in overcoming sin and evil and the schemes of Satan, that they would stand firm and continue to fight the good fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not giving in to temptation. And he concludes here with a personal prayer request. In verse 19, he says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying for others means praying for missionaries, for preachers, praying for me and for others who have been called to be ministers of the gospel that we may boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of circumstances, regardless of consequences. Pray that God would give us words of life and salvation as he is ordained. Jesus lived the perfectly righteous life that you could never live, and he died the death you deserve on your behalf. Through faith in him, you can partake in his victory over death, over Satan, over evil. Through faith in Christ, all the blessings of God that Paul has explained throughout this letter are yours. You've been chosen for adoption into God's family in Christ. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You've been given the gift of faith, and you've been spiritually united to Christ through that faith. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the glorious inheritance that is to come in Christ. And through the grace of God and your spiritual union with Christ and the Holy Spirit working in you, you can use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. You can be a part of the unity of the church. You've been called out of darkness into light, living with the love of Christ in your life, loving your spouse, loving your parents, your children, your employees, your boss, submitting, obeying, and sacrificing as you've been called to do. Continue to be strengthened by the Lord, standing firm in the truth of the gospel, even in the face of Satan and his attacks, relying on God, relying on God's word and praying to him, knowing that in Jesus Christ, your outcome is already determined. And so hold on to the promises of God in Jesus Christ, because there's no circumstances in this world There's no spiritual or powers or forces that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So continue to walk in the Spirit, loving God, loving your neighbor, and awaiting the return of Christ when he will finally defeat all his and our enemies, put an end to sin and death once and for all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people, knowing that every blessing you have given us is completely of your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now for your strength in this spiritual battle that we are in. We pray that your spirit will bring us to you, that we rely on you, your truth, your righteousness, your peace, and the gospel you have given us in Jesus Christ to continue in our faith, 
to continue to live out the calling you have called us to, living in the light as your children, loving you and loving our neighbor in all that we do, that each day you would continue to conform us to the image of your son, that we will wait with peace, knowing upon his return we will be with you in glory forever. We pray all of this in his glorious name. Amen.